It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, my guest in this episode is an absolute uh, sporting legend in this state. Um, it would not be a stretch, I don't think, to say that our most successful sporting uh, team in the Perth Wildcats probably wouldn't exist uh, without the efforts of our guest in this episode uh, and other members of his family. He was the inaugural captain of the Perth Wildcats uh, that has gone on to become, if you measure them by uh, finals appearances at least, the most successful sporting team in the world, uh, which is no small feat. So I'm looking forward to hearing about what was a really interesting and exciting time for sport here in WA. Uh, and it is absolutely beyond question that the Perth Wildcats are our most professional sporting team uh, here in Western Australia. So lots to get through. Let's say hello and welcome to Mike Ellis. Hello, Mike. Hello, Tim. How are you? Going well, thanks. Um, Excellent. You're obviously short on the, the people that you can get in here. So you have to <laughs> Not the at all. The barrel. Not at all. I don't know why it's taken us uh, so long to get you in here for one of these chats, Mike. Well, Obviously, you're a, you're a busy man. You're in demand. Well, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Just working for a living, living sucks, though. You've got to do that, don't you? <laughs> yeah, it can't be Friday night. Every, no, you know, no. The, the 1980s in Perth, you know, lifting trophies <laughs> above your head and yeah. having thousands of people screaming your name. Yeah, them in were the a, days. In a stadium. Them were the good, days. Good times. Let's start on the now, though. Yep. What are you up to now? What am I up to now? I actually run a education supply company. Yeah. So when I finished with the Wildcats, I had to come up with a, a job because I had to actually earn a living. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I went through the era where there wasn't a lot of money. <clears throat> so I didn't have this huge backlog of money behind me that I could just retire and swan around. So I had and to actually live the dream. Yeah, live yeah. the dream. Exactly. So I went in and uh, a previous coach of mine um, who I'd uh, known for many times had a company that many viewers or many listeners would know, uh, a company called Wooldridges. Yep. Now, Wooldridges was a, a, pretty much had the monopoly on the school industry. Um, and he said, look, come and work for me. And I went, mate, I, I'm not a rep. I'm not a salesperson. I don't know what. And he goes, no, no, it's all about relationships. You'll be good. So I said to my wife, look, I'll do this for 12 months um, until I find something else and work out what I want to do. Originally, I was in the building trade. I'm mm -hmm. actually a wall plasterer by trade. So right? there you go. So I've actually got a trade. Yeah. So, you know, if you don't have an education, get a trade. When um, was the last time you plastered a wall? Oh, uh, Bloody long time ago, mate, I've got to tell you. But my theory was I didn't want to go back to that. My yeah. brothers were still doing it, but yeah. it was it's just a young man's gig, yeah. mate. It's just too hard. And, and what about basketball? Is it still a big part of your life? Yeah, very much. I uh, I find time for that. And a lot of people say, how do you fit all that in? I go, mm. well, that, that's actually a release for me, you mm. know, because you can't work all the time. You have to have something else to do, and you need a release. Now, family has always been my biggest release and mm -hmm. my most important one. 
Uh, but basketball has been such a big part of my life for so many years. Uh, I still coach in the uh, state league. So yep. it was called the SBL. It's now called the NBL one. So it's that, that tier down from the NBL. And uh, so I still coach in that, uh, have done that for a number of years. I coach juniors. I help in the PSA, which is uh, uh, the private schools association. So I help, help uh, a little bit there at Christchurch. Um, and I also coach the state school boys team. So, yeah, I, I do Still a little bit here. Right <laughs> <laughs> I know. When I say all that, I go, yeah. what the hell am I thinking? That's you a know? lot. It sounds it, like a lot yeah, when you reel crazy. it off like that. It's crazy. Um, the early 80s. Yeah. The birth of the Wildcats. I mean, before they were the Perth Wildcats, they had a, a different name, right? Um, tell me about, you know, growing up in a, in a basketball family. Obviously, your brothers have been a, uh, a big part of the the story of the Wildcats, particularly yep. in the early years. Obviously, your dad was a huge figure as well. Um, but let's go back to the, the early 80s. You know, you're a young man, playing lots of basketball. It's in the blood, the Wildcats. How did yeah. it all come about? Yeah, well, look, it, it was something that the, the Wildcats were started by the basketball, WA Basketball Association. Yeah. So so it started there and was owned by the, the club. So Basketball WA owned the Wildcats. They tried to get in. I was I was living in Melbourne in seventy nine eighty, mm-hmm. um, and I went over there uh, to improve my game and play because that was the best competition in the country at the time. There was no NBL. Uh, the NBL started in seventy nine, but there was only four teams in it, um, and everyone was going, "No, this is this is never going to work." Uh, as it started to get some impetus, it started to move. Um, WA really wanted to get in, and it looked like we were going to make it in nineteen eighty one. So I left Melbourne and came back because I had opportunities to play for other clubs yep. uh, across the, the country. But my view was always, if I'm going to play in the NBL, I want to represent WA. I'm a mm. WA boy, and mm-hmm. that's what I wanted to do. So I came back here. We didn't make it in 81, but we got in in 82, and that was the start of it. Now, Why didn't you get in in 81? You just weren't quite ready for it? No, it wasn't us. It was them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> back then, Tim, the, the biggest thing was that no one wanted to travel to WA. Yeah. You know, it's too far. They're Why still would we reluctant. go all that? Well, they are. Well, they're not allowed to at the <laughs> yeah. moment, are they? <laughs> That's very true yeah, as well. So, but um, it's more we don't want them, yeah. really. It seems to be the, the scenario. Um, but teams didn't want to travel. So yeah. um, we had to we, – we had some caveats on us to, to actually make it into the league. So there was a, a couple of things we had to do. The first thing was that for the first three years of the league – we as a club had to pay an extra $45,000 per year. Now, mm. back in 82, 45 grand was a lot of money. Mm. So we had to pay that on top of everything we did. And that was to subsidize other teams to travel to WA. Yeah, right. So we had to do that. So that was the first thing. That was the only way they'd let us in. And the other way was we were the only team in the league that would play triple headers. So we'd go and play on a Friday night away, a, you know, say in Melbourne, a Saturday night in uh, Hobart, and a Sunday night up in Brisbane and then fly home Sunday night. And then, you know, all of us were working, mate. We, were, we weren't yeah. getting paid anything. We were full-time workers. So, and, and so you're plastering walls yes. during your days Absolutely. while all this is happening. So we're 12 hours on the tools yeah. and then go and train at night for three hours, yeah. you know. And people don't realise that. They don't understand it. Mate, I would have killed to be able to go down during the day and get up 150, 200 shots, go and lift weights, do all that sort of stuff. We never did any of that. So. Yeah. When you think back to what people accomplished during their time when they're actually working a full-time job to do it, and, you know, I mean, look, a lot of the women's teams have to do that. They still do that to this day. Mm. 
Um, so I, I really empathise with them too because it's not easy when you're doing that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah. But we got in and we yeah. started. And uh, the team originally was the senior state men's team. So West State yep. Wildcats. Yeah. And there was a competition to name the Wildcats. And that's what happened. So uh, it came up. Massive shift yeah, to yeah, Perth yeah. Wildcats. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was huge, huge. Yeah. Minor logo change and that was about it. But Do you remember the first game? I do as indeed. the Wildcats totally. as part of the NBL? Yeah, I think it was, uh, I think, 6th of February. Huh. 2000, uh, no, uh, 1982 at Perry Lake Stadium. Yeah. We played the Geelong Supercats who had yeah. Cal Bruton and James Crawford. Handy. Yeah, and they kicked You obviously liked the look of them because... Yeah, they were good. <laughs> yeah, we ended up... Yeah, we kind of kept our eye on them. Um, yeah, so we got our butts handed to us by about by about 30, I think, in that game. Um, it was... Yeah, but still vividly etched into my mind. But, you know, the thing, Tim, for me, the biggest thing that really sits in my mind about that was you we're playing at Perry Lakes and you'd walk in and Perry Lakes held about 800 people. Mm. Uh, it was pretty chockers. And it was great because it was full. You know, I used to always joke that we'd play in front of Perry Lakes, 800 seats, no bugger in them and all that sort of stuff. But that's not true. It was actually full. But the thing that really is etched in my mind is that when I walked into that stadium for the first game, first was, wow, check this out. This is real, you know, to have this many people here. But more importantly, I could have named just about every single person in that stand. Is that right? Yeah, because... We just, they were basketball people. They were there. They're people I knew. They were people that I'd played against, I'd played with, I'd, you know, been involved with in some capacity in the sport. So it Mm. was such a tight family unit, um, even in the crowd. And Mm. and that was something that I think has has been lost over the years, just purely because of size. Mm. But it was so intimate back then. And, uh, you know, it was just fantastic to be part of that and and feel like. Mm it was kind of history in the making to play that first game and then be a part of it. And then reality set in when we got our butts kicked. (laughs) (laughs) To say though, that the the people of Perth embrace the Wildcats would be an understatement. They wouldn't. My memories uh, growing up, you know, I was of that age in getting into my teens as the eighties started to roll, roll through. Stop making me feel Um, old. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Not often I get to (laughs) Often I'm happy to explain, you know, I'm in, I'm in your position. Um, you know, the, the primetime TV, mm. it was massive. Obviously, there were no, we didn't have an AFL team. Well, we didn't have an AFL no, comp then. No. Um, so there was no no Eagles, let alone Dockers, on the horizon. Um, but the, the way that people in Perth got behind the Wildcats being in this national competition was, was pretty special, wasn't it? And, and, yeah. and the growth that you experienced through that time in the 80s was extraordinary. Oh, it was. It was it was ridiculous. It just it just kept going and going and going. And and you know, the the early days were a bit tougher, mm. you know, um for obvious reasons. I mean, we just didn't have the money, we didn't have the money to bring in the uh the high high-powered imports and all that sort of stuff and and it was very much just the locals and a few imports, you know, we we'd bring in from time to time. We got some okay ones and yep. Then we had a few issues with some other ones where you know, they started to play and then they disappeared um, for various reasons, which we may talk about later on, I'll see. Um, but, you know, it, it was difficult for us and, and really it was all the, the local guys that were doing the job. Um, yeah. And we just needed to get some impetus and get some yeah. extra uh, ability there. So mm. the local guys were holding their own, but we were always beaten by imports on the other sides. and that and The that, likes of... Yeah, James Crawford and James Crawford, Cal, Cal Bruton, yeah. those sorts of guys. I mean, how tricky was it in those early years to get those big names to a new comp? 
Yeah. And a new team and a new comp. Totally. Well, the most difficult thing was we didn't have the money. Yeah. You know, because we're paying this extra money to just be in the league. Um, you know, and it wasn't like, you know, 800 people at the stadium and they weren't getting charged massive money to come in either. Mm. So it's not like they were making money. In actual fact, the club was probably hemorrhaging money. So they didn't have that extra finance to pay for the big imports that they needed to bring in. And that's yep. that's why we kind of struggled along for those first few years. It wasn't until the change and, and suddenly it became an ownership mm. Yep. Checkbook, all those sorts of things. Things started to happen. Yeah. Which yeah. we'll get into right after we take a break. Mike Ellis, the inaugural uh, Wildcats captain, is our special guest in this episode. Two-time NBL champion, uh, and the list of accolades goes on. But I can tell you right after we take a break, Mike, we're going to have a, a little trip down memory lane and hear some of your finest uh, work oh, behind the mic. I know where this is going. You know what's coming, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I do. Oh, what a moment. What a moment <laughs> that was. And you know, it's, it's still got legs, hasn't I it? I know. It's it, like People love it. No, Even they now, still, they still roll it out. They it's, still it's roll like it, it out. They're so bad, it's so good. It, it is, exactly. Yeah, cringeworthy. What a moment of musical <laughs> genius that was. Anyway, uh, we'll, we'll hear that. Maybe not in its entirety. Good, thank in you. Part, at least. Thank you. Right after we take a break. This is Inspiring Stories. Back with more in a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Tearing up the cotton, building up the heat. Here we come. Oh no, here we come. Oh no, here we come. Yeah, but wildcats are on the ground. Watch out if you're in the way. Listen to the hiss, listen to the growl. To inspiring stories. That takes you back, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Thank you very much for that. I'm not a body language expert by any means, Mike, but if I had to <laughs> read you right now, I'd, I'd probably just say, make it stop is yeah, what I was yeah. reading from you. Like, well, just turn it off, please. Lucky there's no pencils close by because I'd be stabbing them in my ears right now. Um, yeah, the, the <laughs> what a part, moment. The part that uh, the part where it says the Perth Wildcats are on the prowl, oh, no, is good. Because yeah. I'm like, oh, no, please, that's enough. That's enough. <laughs> Seriously. Should have uh, cut it there. A lot of, lot of, uh, There's so much lot of views on uh, YouTube, heaps, I can tell heaps. you that. Heaps of views. It, yeah. I mean, it ticks every box. It's nostalgic. It's yeah. parochial. Yeah. Oh, it's it's, local, it's WA. It's cringy. It's, it's so bad it's yeah. good. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Um, it's one of those things you just can't look away. It's like a car crash, isn't it? You just can't look away from it. <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah. But honestly, how, how does that even happen? I, I mean, it's it's Perth in the 80s, so well, let's be honest, some, yeah. some crazy stuff happened in Perth at yes, that time. Yes, it did. But how does someone come along and just go, fellas, we're doing a rap song? Well, I, I think somebody was clearly on something at the time, <laughs> which they weren't sharing. Um, but that was that was actually written by Paul Kuiper, who was one of our players. Yeah, right. So he, he was the – Yeah, serious skills. Well – we were we were trendsetters, Tim, because we did rap before rap was rap. You know, yeah. realistically, you know, it was a little bit of rap. In or the whatever States, that was. Whatever that was, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll say it was rap. 
put a C yeah. in front of it, you might be half <laughs> right, actually. Um, but yeah, so he he put it together, and then um, the the worst part of all that was actually filming it. Yeah. Because we're trying to film it, and you've got guys that have rhythm, and you have guys that don't have rhythm. Eric Watterson. Um, Okay, look, I'll put my hand up. I suck. (laughs) I'm terrible. I have zero rhythm. Um, Watto's probably in the negative, so, you know, that's that's okay. Um, But they had to do all this filming. But cute fun fact, the filming, if you look at the video properly, you'll see a part where we're passing the ball from player to player to player to player. And it goes on. There are many passes. Yeah, well, there's lots of players, you know. (laughs) Well, we actually stopped. um, So where I did my part, myself, Tiny, James possibly, we were in the city. So we stopped traffic in Barrick Street and Murray Street and, and all that. And so we had cops there holding up traffic and detouring traffic all around. I mean, it was a, really, it was a prelude to what we do now, isn't it? It's, it's how we live. We detour <laughs> yeah. everywhere in Perth. Uh, but that's roadworks. So we, we were stopping traffic to make that. Um, so it was, was good. But then doing all the filming in the locker room and all that sort of stuff and them going, trying to get us to move, we're going, mate, this is it. You know, yeah. this is what you this got. This is as good as I've got for yeah. you. And they didn't have Photoshop anywhere near as no. well as they do now. So <laughs> you got what you got. Uh, I suppose that was indicative of where you're at, though, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, the razzle-dazzle had arrived. Yep. Um, you guys were very much on the big stage. You'd started your extraordinary run of, yep. of finals campaigns. Um, can we just backtrack a bit to that, though? Because we've sort of glossed over those years, you know, 82 leading through yep. 87. Obviously, you know, you've found your feet in the national comp. Things are going well. Um, the culture around the club starting to, to transform. Um, but along the way, uh, you lost your dad yep. as well, Gordon, um, who was such a, a pivotal figure in the, the early story of yep. the Wildcats. Um, tell me about that time. So that was that was 87. Yep. So 87 was a, was a very interesting year. It, it had its highs and it had its lows. Um, that was the year that in 86, Bob Williams was a, a sponsor. And then he liked it, a bit like the Remington man. Mm. I was listening to someone on the radio. They were trying to work out who that was. And I nearly rang up and said, it was the Remington man. He liked the company so much he bought it. Yeah. Um, so he, he bought it. And, you know, we had some long conversations, Bob and I, about what we needed to do. And I said, well, the first thing you need to do is get your checkbook out, which is what he did. And so he bought in Cal and he bought in all these other guys and, and all that. And we went out to the public, so we were out at shopping centres. We'd take basketball rings out to shopping centres and people were looking around like, what the hell is this stuff? They had no idea what it was. So we would do that. We would go out and we'd play in country tournaments and stuff. And um, just before the season started, we went and played an inter-team scrimmage down in Mandra. And we went and played there. It was a great game. I think we one of the teams won on the buzzer or something. It was pretty exciting. We're driving home and I had my dad in the car and uh, my dad said to, to myself and my brother Glenn, he said, look, uh, he said, I can't believe how exciting this season looks like it's going to be. It's, he said, I can't wait to watch you guys. He said, you've struggled all through these last seasons, worked your tails off, never made playoffs. He said, I can see you guys going all the way with this team. You know, it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait to watch the season unfold and how it goes. That was on the Saturday night. On the Sunday morning, he went up to his local tennis club, which he started, Nolamara Tennis Club, went up and was playing penance tennis, and he died on the court that that day, the next day. So that was... Massive heart attack. Massive heart attack. I got a phone call. They said, Mike, you need to come up here quickly. So I drove up. I thought, this isn't good. Drove up to the tennis court, and there was a sea of people there. And as I walked up, they just parted. It was like the Red Sea just parting 
And as they parted, they opened up. I saw him lying on the ground, on the court. Um, and his best mate was performing CPR on him, which he did from there all the way to the hospital. In the, and I rode with him in the ambulance and he never gained consciousness. So yep. he passed away. That was, that was um, a week before my wedding. And two weeks before the season started. Wow. So, yeah, I've never forgiven him for that. You know? how, <laughs> how dare you do that, mate? What poor timing, you know? Yeah. So, how did, so that I was mean, pretty, how do you pick yourself up from, yeah, that from was, a shock like that? Well, I mean, that was so difficult. Mm. Obviously, our first thought was, well, we're cancelling the wedding, you know, and all that. And then and and, my and, wife was and like... And you did? No, hell no. No, 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 no we did not. Um, my wife's like, oh, we've got it. You can't do I went, no. I, I said, you know what? I can I can see Dad looking at me, going, "You dare cancel that because of me, you mongrel! Don't even think about it. You do what you need to do." It was one of the, I mean, obviously it was my own wedding, but it was one of the most um, emotional weddings I've ever been to. I can imagine highs and lows, and 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 people, the speeches were just phenomenal, and it was it was amazing. And you know, I'm still m- married to my lovely wife to this day and we still remember that fondly you know yeah. um, but that was hard you know going mm. through that it was really really tough and then we had the season so we dedicated the season to dad um, that was basically Bob Williams um, decided that he would name the MVP award after my father based on that so the MVP for the Wildcats is the Gordon Ellis medal yep. which uh, my mother um, who's still alive and still going her and I, go and present that award to the winning um, recipient every every Wildcats awards dinner each year. And we've Fantastic. done that for the last 30-something years, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah, so that's fantastic. So, what so that's what happened with Dad. Uh, yeah. And that was just such a hard thing, you know. So he never got to see see us. It's such a shame, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it totally is, you know, because he was a massive part of it all. But he called it. He knew it was coming. He did. He called yeah. it, yeah, on the way home, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so... It is what it is. So it's it's one of those things that, you know, he was old school. We're trying to work out if he had any signs or was there anything mm. he could have done? Could he have got checked up? You know, but who knows? You it, just don't it, know. It just sometimes happens that way. Yeah, correct. It? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, on the court, obviously things are, are starting to, to turn around. Performances are, are getting you into the, yep. the finals mix. Um, how important was it? I mean, you talked earlier about the struggles getting some of those big names and, you know, having to front up and play against the likes of Cal Brute and James Crawford. Um, you started to be able to attract some of these big names to the club. And I think with it came some of that razzle-dazzle that, you know, it, it took the um, the presentation of the club, if you like, the way that you were able to present yourself to fans and to the comp and to the world. You kind of went into another level then, didn't you? Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And, and look, that ninety-nine uh, percent of that was down to Cal Bruton. Yeah, you know, he is the consummate showman. Yeah, no question about it. You know, love him or hate him. You know, and uh, you know, people are divided on that. Um, you reckon they're still still divided on that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. As they discuss his legacy. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. But mate, um, Cal was the consummate showman. Yeah, he he bought it. I mean. That was his catchphrase for 87 was run and stun and have some fun. And that's what we did. That was it. We had it on the back of our singlets, yeah. our training singlets. <clears throat> and uh, that's what we did. We played that up-tempo style, flary game, which was fantastic. It was fun to watch. You know, the crowds got involved and it was, it was the place to be. Mm. You know, it was the, the thing to go to. It wasn't this restaurant or that bar or that club. It was the Wildcats. Absolutely. And that's what happened. And, and I still 
have people today that you that say to me, we used to race home to watch it on the TV yep. and, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. On a Friday night, we'd race home. And because it was on Seven and Kerry Stokes owned Seven, he also owned GWN. Mm. So it was actually beamed across the state, not just the Metro. So, you know, we had everybody behind us watching. And, and, because, and like anything, Tim, as you well know, people like winners. Absolutely. They don't like losers, you know. <laughs> so the fact that we were we were flary and exciting and enjoyable to watch and we were winning, uh, it's a pretty good combo. Yeah, unbeatable. Yeah, 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 very much. And you've ridden that wave yeah. for 35 or so years yeah. now, which is, which is pretty extraordinary. Um, there have been a couple of uh, times along the way as well which have been controversial and, and again, sad in yeah. their own right. So maybe we'll get into that right after we take a break. I'm talking, of course, about... Uh, one tiny pinder, and also the passing of Scott Fenton, Scott, yeah. which was, again, sudden and incredibly tragic. This is Inspiring Stories. Mike Ellis is our special guest. We'll be back with more and no more rap music <laughs> right after this. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. My special guest uh, in this episode is none other than Mike Ellis, the inaugural captain uh, of the Perth Wildcats uh, from their birth in 1982 all the way through uh, until 1992. Two player, correct? Two premierships uh, along the way, uh, over 300 games. Um, Mike, 1989, things are really, really going beautifully for the Wildcats. Um, You hadn't won your, uh, your maiden... Uh, NBL title just yet, but uh, along the way, I mean, a a huge loss within the ranks, Scott Fenton. Just to refresh people's memories, tell us what happened. Yeah, so Scott, so Scott, Scott came over. I think in '89, actually, we recruited him over. He was from Sydney originally. Yeah, been playing over there. Uh, Great player, great guy. He had his fiance with him, um, Tina who came and she was playing for the women's version of the Wildcats, which was the Breakers at that stage. So yep. we recruited them both to come over and they played for both of the teams. Uh, as I said earlier on, um, Scott was still working for a living. Uh, he was you know, doing some, uh, I think he was doing insurance salesman. So I should have known I shouldn't have trusted him at that point. <laughs> um, but but he, was, he was doing some of those things, just, you know, not a lot, but uh, he was just, he wanted to get his feet in the door to that, kind of industry so that when he retired as a player he had something to go to which was a smart thing to do yeah <clears throat> so a lot of those calls were done uh, after hours so he he and Tina had gone to visit a client uh, in Sorrento or just up the road in Hillary's um, on a Sunday night I think it was and he was leaving uh, the thing at about probably 11 30 12 o'clock at night to go home uh, he pulled out of uh, the street in uh, onto Marmion Avenue and unbeknownst to him, it was kind of on a little bit of a bend, unbeknownst to him, there was two cars drag racing yeah. along Marmion Avenue with their lights off. So he didn't see the lights coming around the bend. He pulled out as the cars came around the corner and they cleaned him up. And uh, he died immediately and Tina died, because I've spoken to people that were on the scene afterwards, uh, she died sometime later, uh, but still in the car. They hadn't even got her out of the car. So he died, uh, and she died almost not long after him. So 
to lose both of them like that was just shocking. You know, in that yeah. sort of and yeah, you know, people say it's an accident. That's not an accident. No, you know, that's totally just yeah, absolute. I mean, just totally, to even say it, it's yeah, yeah, sheer reckless stupidity is an to- understatement, totally, isn't it? It's just totally reprehensible. Yeah, isn't it? exactly. But of course, I didn't. And, and here's an interesting point: is where I currently live now. I live in Sorrento. Um, where that happened is probably 500 metres up the road. Is that right? Yeah, from where. So it's just so it's it, a constant it reminder. Into, yeah, yeah, constant reminder. You drive by and go, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but I obviously didn't know at the time. But uh, Alan Black was coaching at that stage. Yep. I was uh, still captain, so I got a phone call from him Monday morning at about 5 a.m. and I'm like, what the hell is Alan ringing me at five for? Mm. So I answered the phone after I'd woken up a little bit. Um, and he told me the news and I was just, I just, I, I remember sitting there on the edge of the bed, just dumbfounded. And my wife woke up obviously cause she'd heard the phone and she's like, what, 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 what? And it took me five minutes to actually enunciate to her what, it, what had happened. And, uh, it was just such a shock, you know, it was yeah. just, um, one of those avoidable things that should never have happened. And it did. And it was, it just killed us because he was a great he was a great guy, really mm. good guy. Take the basketball side away. He was a good basketball player, a fantastic teammate, but he was just an awesome guy. Yeah. And and so was Tina, his his fiance. She was gorgeous as well. And to lose people like that, it's just it's criminal. You know, yeah. It really is criminal. It's just such a shame. Did you have the job as the, the captain of the team to go and tell your teammates? To yeah, basically. That news? Yeah, Alan and I went and how had you, to get him to do that. Oh, I don't know. I still yeah. don't know how I did it. How we how we talked about it. It was. And I remember going down that road saying this has happened and just the looks on everyone's face was just, it was almost like, oh, cut it out, you know. Yeah. That's a, that's a warped joke. Don't be saying that sort of stuff. You know, it was, it, it was that hard to believe. Disbelieving. Yeah, yeah, yeah total. Um, so, yeah, that, that made that very, very difficult. It made mm. the season. So, you know, we clearly dedicated the rest of the season to Scott and, uh, and, we ha- and the Breakers did the same for Tina. And we had a memorial. We had it at uh, Challenge Stadium, which you know, the, was called the Superdrome back then. Mm. Um, we had it there, and I still still remember coming in. What, the court where we were playing was set up. The baskets were no, the baskets were actually left up there as a tribute sort of thing. But we had two massive photos, probably not life size, but probably half life size. Uh, one of Scott and one of Tina, and we had the memorial service there for yep. him. Uh, and that was yeah, that was hard. That was yeah. really hard. Very hard. And then we had to play that week. You know, we had a game that weekend, you know, and that was you know, trying to get your head around that. Which, again, is no doubt what he would have wanted. Totally, yeah. totally. How did yeah, you go? Yeah, Do you remember yeah. how you went in that game? Was it hard to oh, no, I compartmentalise actually, no, as you would have needed to do? No, I, that that's a blur. The rest yeah. of that season was – well, the next month was probably a blur. Yeah, you know, We were kind of on autopilot yeah. almost, you know, yeah. because everything you did, every time you went in the locker room, it mm. reminded you of him. And, yeah. And and the Wildcats ended up retiring his singlet in as a tribute. Now, you know, singlets get retired for people that have done a lot of stuff over a long period of time. Like okay. your own, number six. Yeah, yeah, I'm fortunate enough to be one of those. <laughs> um, just means you're old. Is what it means. Um, but Tim, uh, he had only been with a club for a very, very short period of time, but he'd made such an impact on everyone and – the way this happened, that the club decided that that was a tribute that they wanted to make. So his was the first singlet. So if you go to the entertainment or the arena now, mm. if you go to the arena, you'll see the singlets in order of retirement. 
His is the first one hanging up. Right. I'm next to him. I'm fortunate yep. to be next to him. So I feel proud that mine was the first um, um, retired player to be to be retired. But it's next to Tim and uh, next to Scott, and that I feel pretty good about that as yep. well. You know. Yeah. Um, good place his, to be. Yeah, it is. It is. And his um, his parents were fantastic people, and every time. We went and played in Sydney. They would always come and watch us play and we would always catch up with them after the game. And that, for for the next three or four years, that was just still so emotional every time we saw them. Mm. You know, it was uh, it was amazing. It was just something that was so impactful and in a bad way, but yeah. in a good way. Well, you, you were know his, what I mean. You be, no doubt became his family away yeah, from his... Totally. Yeah. His, his family in Sydney. Completely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so it's a special place that you guys have in, yep. you know, in his memory to yep. his his mum and dad, no mm. doubt. Mm. Um, whole different kind of drama that happened around. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, couldn't be more different, really. I, I have to ask you about the yeah. the Tiny Pinder yep. scandal, which, oh. which which sort of just landed like a hand grenade, didn't it, in, in 1990. And there's yeah. this... Story and and I'm not sure where the story end and ends and the myth begins or maybe it's all accurate. But the cops are waiting for him at half time during a game. Correct? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's this is a I, I probably let the cat out of the bag a little bit with this. I was doing an interview uh, not so long ago when we we're talking off air about it. Right. And, um, and it came up in conversation, sort of thing. And it, it, it's, and it must, though, right? I mean, this is it's, it's hard kind of to. one of those. It's hard not to episodes of the Wildcat story that people it, are still. It's part of the legacy of the Wildcats. Right. Yeah. It's what it is. You know, not all legacies and backstories for anything are all good. Mm. You know, there are bad ones. Mm. Um, so it came up in conversation, and I said, "Well, I'm not going to talk about that on air." And they went, "Why not?" I went, should, "What are you talking should about? Should we delete why? this bit?" I'm like, what, what, what do you? They said, "Why is it factual?" I went, "Yeah, well, it's factual." They go, "Well." You know, it's nothing. So I went, all right, well, look, I'm not going to expand on it, but okay. I'll briefly touch on it. Sure. And, and I did. Well, from there, clearly. It, it's grown legs again. It's out. Yeah. It's out there and all that. So I I feel a bit, um, I suppose I feel a bit bad that I brought it out. Yeah. Um, Having said that, you would have been one of several witnesses to this, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 But it was kind of one of those things you didn't really talk about. Yeah. Um, just recently, um, more has surfaced, uh, which is again sad. Um, we, I was trying to get engaged by a, um, a investigative journalist was trying to engage me into it. Um, I wasn't in the, at, at the time. I was actually trying to recruit his son, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think it's appropriate for me to talk about this now when I'm trying to recruit his son. It's not fair on him. Yeah. So I, I declined to do anything yep. on that. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, the story basically goes that we're playing in the, the grand final series in 1990. Um, and we come in at halftime. We're playing at home. We come in at halftime and uh, there's police officers waiting and they handcuff Tiny in the room. And we kind of like looking at that. Go, so this what is, is happening? Quite, this yeah. isn't quite the halftime speech I was expecting. Um, anyway, long long story short, we actually spoke to the officers and they allowed him to play the second half. I said, well, where's he going? He's not going anywhere. How did he He's go in the second here. half? Well, that's the, not funny, but the crazy thing about it. He was unbelievable in Is the second right? half. He had like 18 points, 15 boards in the second half. And you're just like, how, how do you go from that 
to do that, to perform at that level after that, whether or not he just thought, he oh, thought well, well, this might be my, my last game. half I play for a while. Quite possibly. You know? yeah. um, they did have officers set up around all the doors in case he chased the ball down the road and ended up going down Wellington Street. So <laughs> they did that. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was one of those surreal moments, really surreal moments. And because we had no idea about any of this. And As you reflect on it, sorry, I know, tell me if I'm, again, digging too much here, but was it a bit of showboating or grandstanding by the police to come and do that in such a, a public way, you know, halfway through a game? It's, well, I mean, it's, it, it's it, a scene out of a movie, isn't it, it? It is. I don't think it was public in as much as they didn't do it on the court. No. They no. did it in the locker room. Sure. And, and to their credit, they said, all right, well, look, we'll let him play. And, and it wasn't bought out public. So I think they were doing their job. They'd got told, hey, you need to go and arrest this guy, mm. you know, or you know, and we've got to talk to him or all that sort of stuff. So they went and did it. It just happened to be the timing was we're in the middle of a, a yeah. playoffs game, you know. So it was what it was. And and we had no idea. And, and uh, afterwards, we, we kind of met. And, and that went for a little while where, um, you know, Kerry – Kerry Stokes, who owned the team at the time, um, spoke to us and said, look, you know, we're going to uh, find out what's going on and we, we don't know what's going on. Obviously, we'll, we'll back Tiny as best we can and give him the most support we can and all that. Um, but at that stage, again, yeah, none of us knew what was going You've on. You had no idea really no, what was happening? No, not really. Yeah. Not really. Incredible. Um, yeah, it was. And then as it all unfolded, you start to go, oh, okay, righto, I can understand that or I... You know, and obviously none of us condoned any of what he did. No, and, and, I mean they were, and, you know, incredibly serious allegations. They, yeah. they were, they were, and and but with anything like that, it took. He still played with us for the next couple of years mm. because it takes that long for the justice system to to mm. actually roll along. And and before he went to court and all that, it wasn't until later on that he finally went to court. So in the meantime. You know, you're innocent until proven guilty, and and that's basically what happened. So he yep. continued to play, uh, and play very well for us. Um, but yeah, it, it's there was there's two sides to to Tiny. There was the off court side that none of us were really that privy to. I mean, look, he was a player. Don't get me wrong, he was out there, and you know, he he had that in him. That he wanted to. Um, kind of play the field a little bit and and live that life. Live that life, which mm. you know was never something that I was ever interested in I you know have trouble keeping one woman happy how am I going to keep more than one so um <laughs> but but you know um when it started to come to light you kind of went oh but then there was the on court side of him and yep. tiny was a phenomenal teammate yep. you know a fantastic teammate and I knew if ever I got into a blue on a court he would be the first guy there backing me up yep. you know and that was the kind of guy he was and that was the tiny I like to remember I do not like the other side of it yeah. and that side. And I certainly don't condone it or um, anything like that. You just, it's just wrong what he did. And, mm. and he, he paid the, paid the price for it. You yeah. Know? Um, as he, as he should. As he should. Yeah, yep. totally. And we'll put a full stop on that. Yeah, done. And we'll take a break and we'll speak no more about it for the time being anyway. Uh, we need to take a break. Inspiring stories uh, in this episode uh, with Mike Ellis. We'll talk more about uh, Wildcats and uh, maiden victories right after this. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. 
Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Mike Ellis, uh, inaugural captain of the Wildcats, a two-time uh, championship winner. Um, we've spent a bit of time dwelling on some of the the unfortunate, um, in a broad sense of the word, uh, chapters in the Wildcats' history through the late 80s into 1990, but some absolute triumphant times as well. And you guys were just the absolute rock stars of Perth, weren't you? I mean, yourself, um, Tiny that we've mentioned, James Crawford, uh, Trevor Torrance, Cal Bruton, uh, yeah. a very young Ricky Grace. Yes. Uh, by this point, um, Watto, you know, you guys were the the yeah. most recognisable faces in Perth. Well, it was the it was the hottest ticket in town. Yeah, that's for sure. I remember that first year in '90 when uh, you know we were playing at the Entertainment Centre and you had people lining, you know, lapping the Entertainment Centre to buy tickets to mm. come to the games. You know, so. That was yeah. It was it was kind of a bit surreal. Yeah, uh, it was. You you kind of didn't look at yourself along those lines, but yeah. that's what it was like. You know? And there's some, there's some great footage of you hoisting. I mean, it, it, it's an impressive trophy in itself, isn't it? I mean, it's it's I want towering. Some, I want some royalties on that thing, mate. Because <laughs> that it, photo. I mean, it's uh, become one of the iconic yes. shots for WA Sport, hasn't uh, it? You holding that yeah. massive trophy above your head. Yep. And you can just see the, the, the energy in the room. I mean, you could power the city with that. <laughs> yeah. It was enormous. Yeah, it was, it was purely adrenaline at that point. Yeah. Because um, when I was lifting it, I thought, geez, this thing's a lot heavier than I thought it was. <laughs> it's it's pretty was heavy. I, what it? was I thinking? Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, that was that was just a spur of the moment thing. You know, when I, when I got it, uh, I think the elation of finally getting a, a championship uh, and all that sort of stuff. And I'd, you know, I'd never done anything like that before as far as lifting trophies up and I'd seen people lift them up so I figured that's what you got to do <laughs> I just didn't realize that normally they lift up the small ones I just lifted <laughs> the big one up but uh but you're right it is it's an iconic photo I'd, I'd like a dollar for every time it's been used somewhere yeah. in print or yeah or uh, tv or whatever um I'd probably retire I wouldn't be working see I'd be laughing <laughs> um but yeah it is it was was good and and just that was that was nine years nine years in the making yeah um so that's why I think for me it was just such a an elation yeah. to be able to do that and uh, and pick it up and, and you know there's a clearly a heap of backstory around mm. all all why and a, and how the championship came to to fruition and all that and and you know we talked about '87 where we we made it to the grand final and we lost to Brisbane and it was in uh, in Boondle which is a place yep. out of Sydney about uh, sorry out of Brisbane about 30 minutes out of Brisbane. You know, fourteen or thirteen thousand people, and all that sort of stuff. We lost that, and I remember saying at that time, "I never want to feel this way again, yeah. ever." You know, if we ever make another grand final, we're not going to lose it. And coincidentally enough, we played Brisbane in Boondle in '90 mm. to win it. Yeah. So it was, you know, deja vu. And nice then symmetry to it. Yeah, and to get to it, we had to beat North Melbourne in the um, semi. And the two previous years, so 88 and 89, we lost to North Melbourne in the semifinals yep. and to not make the grand final. And then we played them again in 90 in the semifinals. And everyone went, oh, God, here we go. It's I hated, deja hated vu. North Melbourne. I, me too. Me too. Scotty Fisher. Yes. It took yeah. a lot for yeah. me to embrace him when he came I over. Know, yeah, I couldn't stand I him when he played for North exactly. Melbourne. Exactly. He was the sort of guy you hated. Because he was so good. <laughs> that's right. You, hate, you love to hate him. But when yeah. he was on your side, you go, you loved oh, him. actually, that's pretty good. I'm okay <laughs> with him now. Um, yeah, so to, to get to the grand final, we had to beat these guys, you know. Um, and the little little backstory, the, the, in the 89 year, we lost game three 
by 55 points. How do you get to game three and lose it by 55? That's just... That's a bad time. That's office. ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> but Cal, Cal Bruton played in 55, and he saw that as a sign, and that's when he retired as a player. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why he retired. Yeah. That was it. So, yeah, winning that one in 90, uh, that was just phenomenal. Incredible. So, you know, all that stuff, all that emotion just came out when I got mm. the trophy and I just went, hell, yeah. hang it, I'm lifting this thing up, you know. There's a, a, a lot of build-up. Yeah. A lot of build-up. was. was. Um, you managed to back it up yeah. uh, towards the tail end of your playing career. Yes, yes. Um, h- how did it go second time around? Very different. Yeah. Very different because we had a different coach. Yeah. Um, Murray Arnold came in. He was a – so we went from the run and stun and have some fun and play that up-tempo, exciting style of game – to this dire, dour, boring as batch, I mean, boring as anything <laughs> um, style of play, which was really defensive, you know. Um, but it was effective. We yep. won. We won that as well. So we went back to back. And then 92, I reckon we could have three-peated, but um, Murray had some ideas that didn't quite sit with me and didn't sit with some other people. And, uh, yeah, he, he did a few things that we didn't think would have would have worked if he had done what we thought we should have continued to do. I reckon we would have three-peated, yep. uh, but we didn't. And, you know, as they say, say la vie. Well, you got two under your belt anyway, yep. Mike, and unfortunately we're out of time. But the, the story continues obviously beyond that. Maybe we'll have to get you in for a part two sometime. Sure. Totally. Um, but we appreciate you sharing some of your stories. As I mentioned, your singlet's been retired now. You're a Hall of Famer. Uh, you're the inaugural captain of what is now – the most successful in many people's eyes uh, sporting professional sporting team uh, on the planet. So um, to say you set the wheels in motion <laughs> would be an understatement. So thank you so much for coming in and chatting to us. It's, been, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you. Uh, you've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we unearth another inspiring story. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.